Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Sometime this week as you remember it, if you could just lift up a prayer for me. Um, I feel just the need to receive some strength from the Lord spiritually. I've been... uh, walking with some people through some difficult things, and I feel just at the edge of my own strength, and I really feel like I need the Lord to pour into me so I can pour into others, uh, and just so that my own heart can be refreshed in him. So if you would just remember sometime this week to lift up a short prayer for me, I would be really grateful uh, and be very encouraged by it. This morning, uh, I want to give the sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And the title of the message is Gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. I don't know if you can make out what that illustration is exactly, but it's a bunch of people using different tools and giftings to build something together. And with each thing they do, there is like a supernatural empowerment to their human efforts. That's really what the gifts of the Spirit are about. And this passage falls in the middle of a section of 1 Corinthians where if I could identify the theme, it would simply be this. It is how God makes himself visible to the world through the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 is really about how God bursts forth into reality and makes himself visible through the church. And one of the ways he does that is through the spiritual gifts. Now, if you've been at church for any length of time, this is probably not the first teaching you've heard about the spiritual gifts. In fact, just out of curiosity, how many of you have taken a spiritual gifts test before? You know what your top five spiritual gifts are in descending order? All that. Okay. So a lot of people have gone through an assessment. I'm not a big fan of those spiritual gift tests. I used to give them at this church. We don't give them anymore. I just really don't believe that much in finding out our spiritual gifts that way. But I think it also, the reason I don't like those tests is because I think they place too much emphasis on what gifts we have, trying to identify our arsenal of gifts, but it doesn't address the deeper question, which is, what kind of people does God use so that these gifts become vibrant in the world, serve the purpose of God wanting to make himself visible in the world? And so I've been trying to use very simple, very obvious titles for my sermons throughout the 100 Things series so that when you're reading down the table of contents of all 100, there's no mystery as to what I preached about. But if I could give a subtitle or a more clever title to this message, it might be simply this, How God Builds His Church. How God Builds His Church. What does He use and what kind of people does He use to build the church? And so this morning... I want to focus our time and energy not on a a tedious cataloging of every gift. If you want to find out about those things, there are great books out there. I want to talk about more the foundational truth. What kind of heart, what kind of people does God use so that these gifts become truly useful for God's purposes? Here's the text. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I think it's pretty clear that that text requires a little unpacking. I, don't, I think there's a lot in there, and we will try to unpack it this morning. But I, I want to aim our attention in the right place. And that is, what is the overarching theme of all of this? Why do things called spiritual gifts exist or need to exist in the very first place? And the reason we need spiritual gifts is because the real aim of God is the building up of His house. The establishment and building up of a people who belong to Him and then would reflect Him and reveal Him to the rest of the world. That is God's great aim through the church, is to reveal Himself through us so that others who are far from Him will be drawn to Him and come home to Him. That is one of the great aims of God through the church. And so we get a hint as to what the spiritual gifts are for when we look at chapter 14. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 26. It's too small for you to read it. We're not going to read the whole thing. But I've highlighted certain parts because in, in, in these verses, Paul is now zooming in the teaching and focusing on one particular controversial gift, the gift of speaking in tongues. And in this extended teaching on the gift of tongues, he points out a couple things that keep popping up as recurring themes that are really important to see. And just so we wouldn't miss them, I highlighted them in red. Look, it says, Upbuilding and encouragement builds up the church, but that the church may be built up. The other person is not being built up or in order to instruct others. And finally, let all things be done for building up. It seems that while Paul is giving teaching about the gift of tongues, the one obsession he can't shake is all of this is for one overarching goal, and that is the building up of the body of Christ. In fact, where you see the words in English, built up or building up or upbuilding, it's the same Greek word, oikodomeo. That means nothing to us, me included. I mean, what, what is, it's Greek to us, right? But here's the word literally. It's a conjunction. It means literally building of a house. It's a strange term to pop up in Scripture in a spiritual context because it's a construction term. It's a construction terminology. It literally means that the great aim of God is to build his house, using his people. So the question then is, if that's what the spiritual gifts are for, they enable us to build the house of God. What kind of people does God use to build that house? What kind of people, if he gives them spiritual gifts, will use those gifts to cause his house to be built? See, the problem in the church in Corinth 
was, was that a lot of people were receiving and experiencing lots of crazy supernatural gifts. In some cases, it was reported that even dead people were being resurrected, you know? And so there's this idea that, that um, in, in this first century, as the Holy Spirit was moving and active, miracles were happening everywhere. But some of these people forgot about this great goal and were using these spiritual gifts to build up their own reputation and their influence within the church family. It's easy to forget what God really expects of us, and it's very easy for a church to lose sight of that and begin to try to turn this into a place where our own goals get accomplished. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that that's a danger we face in the church even today. Every one of us knows ultimately that the right answer is we are here to glorify God and serve His purposes. But if we're honest about it, there are many other reasons that truly motivate us to come to this church. And it's easy for us to lose sight of what God's really trying to do and insist that this group, this place, becomes all about accomplishing the things I need this church to be for me. So what kind of people does God use to build up his house? I think the first kind of people God uses are those who are spirit-filled. And keep in mind, in parentheses, the other part of each of these points is not just what kind of people does God use to build his house, but what kind of people make the most of the gifts that God's given them, their spiritual gifts. Listen to what it says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, in other words, far from God, lost and unsaved, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. That simply says there was a time in your life where you were under the domain and the power of another spirit, not the Holy Spirit of God. And this spirit literally dragged you away into other things. You were led to worship idols. And in some translations, it says dumb idols, meaning literally these things are blocks of wood. They can't even speak. And you were led away by this spirit to worship them. But now, in contrast, now that you know Christ, there is a new spirit who lives inside of you. It is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And this spirit is not some dead idol or block of wood and stone. This is the living God. He has a voice. He speaks, and he is truly powerful. And the amazing news is he actually lives inside of you. Many Christians forget this. And so that when we're in counseling situations or in arguments, it's as if we're in a courtroom trying to win your heart with persuasion. We're trying to convince you that there is something true. But the Holy Spirit, if we submit to him, is already alive and active inside of us. For the person who is in Christ, there is a living force, a presence of God. He is indwelling you. He exists inside of yourself. And he longs to burst forth into your life, into reality. It's possible to hinder his work in, through disbelief, through spiritual laziness, through sinful habits of thought. We can squash the desire of God to burst forth into our lives because without faith, we don't grasp onto this life of Christianity. But there is this spirit. And in, in, when it says gifts, that word spiritual gifts, at least in a couple of the occasions, is a word that literally is pneumaticos. It means it means. It's, it's a, a form of the word spirit itself. 
The word gifts is in fact not supplied in this text, but it is given, it's not in the original language, but it's given in the English translation to add meaning. The word spiritual gifts in Greek is actually just spiritualities. In other words, verse 7 captures it well, it is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, don't fall asleep on me because I used the word manifestation. I know it's a long word. But here's what the manifestation means. It means there's something buried inside of me that finally comes out. That comes out. We have all kinds of coming out in our culture where something that was buried, suppressed, is now set free to be, hey, here I am, everyone. This is me. The real me is coming out. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's a way of saying God who lives inside of me is bursting out for everyone to see. God who lives inside of me is now making himself manifest, visible to the world through these gifts. That is ultimately what the spiritual gifts are. And so it stands to reason that if a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in us, then that Holy Spirit must already be in us for the gifts to be meaningful at all. In other words, God does not give the, the spiritual gifts to those who are not saved. A prerequisite of receiving a spiritual gift is that you are saved and spirit-filled, that the Holy Spirit truly lives inside of you so that through these gifts, God is awakening and bursting the Holy Spirit's presence in you out into the world. And so he offers this interesting test. Do you want to know whether or not you are spirit-filled? Do you want to know whether or not you're just a churchgoer and a lifelong religious person or whether the Holy Spirit, this living, active presence, this force of God is dwelling inside of you? Do you want to know? Well, at least one sure test is this. No one speaking with the Holy Spirit of God in them can say to Jesus, Jesus, be accursed. Now, I don't know if any of you have actually spoken those words outside of repeating them in a sermon you know, Jesus be accursed, or Jesus is accursed. It's not simply saying, oh, I use the Lord's name in vain. I said a cuss word that involved Jesus' name. Uh, maybe one time in anger after you struck out in, in, the, in the big softball game, under your breath you muttered, Jesus, in, as a curse. And, and maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a part of it. But it runs deeper than simply words. See, do you want to know if the Spirit of God that vital presence of the living God is in you, one way to know is by your relationship to Jesus. In the way you relate to Jesus, do you acknowledge who he is or do you totally disrespect and disregard who he is? To say Jesus is accursed if he is God is to basically say, yeah, I'll insult you. I'll tell you you're not important. I'll tell you you don't matter. I'll insult you to your face because you're not real. You don't have any real power. These pastors spew words about Jesus, this, Jesus. He doesn't matter. This is the real world, real pain, real problems, real debt, real suffering, real disease. What does Jesus have to do with any of this? If that's your attitude and relationship with Jesus, if you can disregard, disrespect, completely disavow who he is in this world and to us, then the spirit of God is not in you. And it doesn't matter how many years you've been faithfully going to church or reading the Bible. If you can have that relationship and posture towards Jesus, the Spirit of God is absent in you. And that is why life is so difficult and powerless. Without His Spirit in you, there is no power for living. 
None. You will be a slave to that other spirit which has always held sway in the world apart from God, and you will be dragged along to places you don't want to go. That is a spiritual reality. Conversely, then, he says, here's how you know that the Spirit of God is in you if you can say, Jesus is Lord. Now, I can, I can do the safe thing and the simple thing and go, everyone just say it now. Jesus is Lord. Let's say those three words and then we're cool. The Spirit is in us. Obviously, we're not talking about putting together a string of three words, right? I could teach a parakeet to say those three words that don't save the parakeet. Here's the point. The person who has the living, vital, active presence of the living God in them, only they can truly say to Jesus, you're not just the CEO of my religion. You are my Lord. I submit to you. I understand who you are, and I build my life around this understanding. It is submission and living under the Lordship of Christ, which is the great proof that God is in me. God is in me. So I'm asking you then, what is our response if we discover, wow, based on that test, I'm starting to wonder about God's spirit in me. The response, proper response, is not to despair or to experience guilt or fear because Jesus said this to us in Revelation 3.20. I'm standing right at the door. I'm knocking. If anyone would invite me in, I'd be more than happy to enter in and live with you. I'm not saying this is a, this is a way of testing. Do you have the spirit by how good of a person you are? But the, the most reliable test... Whoa. Whoa. The most reliable test of salvation is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Praise team, I'm sorry. You're going to have to fix your uh, music later. Does that make sense to you guys? And that's why having the Holy Spirit in us is so critical to the building of God's house. Because ultimately, the building of the church is a spiritual work. It's a spiritual work. It's not the kind of thing we do just by human talent or good resourcing. It is something that is impossible to do without God. He said as much in Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who labor, build it, labor in vain. In other words, at the bottom of all of it, the building of of the church is a supernatural and spiritual work. It's easy to build an organization with phenomenal programming and a kick-butt building. You can do all of that without God. Do you realize it? There are wonderful clubs all over the world that have concerted efforts, unity, people giving sacrificially for the same cause. They build tremendous buildings. They accomplish lots of charitable deeds. Their logo looks awesome. Everything is in place. But the church is not that. The building of God's house is a spiritual work because in the end, the true church is not a building or an organization or programs. It is a collection of people who see God and affirm him through the way that we live. The church is spiritual. And so those who build it must be spirit-filled and energized by the Holy Spirit of God. Remember also that that word in 1 Corinthians 14, oikodomeo, building of the house, is a construction term. We so often think of 
the spiritual gifts as value-added accessories to the church, right? Like this church is so great. Imagine how great it would be if someone had the spiritual gift of encouragement so that on top of this great church, some people would be running around encouraging everyone. Or wouldn't it be great if someone had the gift of teaching so that on top of all of these sermons we have to endure, someone could actually teach us the Word of God? Wouldn't that be exciting? So maybe we're thinking of the spiritual gifts as accessories that add value. Here's the way I would almost think of it. We think of spiritual gifts in terms of interior decorating. Here's a finished house. Let's accessorize it. Let's finish it. Let's make it look pretty. But in fact, what what God is saying in, in his word is, no, you've got it wrong. The spiritual gifts are necessary for construction of the house itself. They are not value-added accessories. They are the timber and the nails and the hammers. You cannot build God's house without the spiritual gifts. It's impossible to build the church without the spiritual gifts. And we'll build that case a little more as we go. The other kind of people that God uses to build his house are those who are serving. Those who are serving. Verses 4 to 6 say, Now there are varieties of gifts. That word is charismata, literally outflowings of God's grace, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service. That, that Greek word, you'll recognize it, is diakonia, from which we get the English word deacon. It's ministry service. Okay? There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. That word activities is energema, which is similar to the word energizing, right? Energizing. It speaks to the way God works through something that we do. He shows up and empowers it. He energizes it. There are varieties of activities of God, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. This paints, these verses paint a very exciting picture of the church where people are doing ministry, diakonia. They are are serving in ministry and God is energizing it. And through each one of those acts, it is another revelation, a reminder of God's great mercy and love and grace for us. That's what the church should be, a place where everybody is expressing and exercising their spiritual gifts as a visible reminder to others that God is gracious and he loves us and he is great. And so as we do our work, God energizes it and wonderful things happen. This is, to me, a beautiful picture of the church. And here's what he says. To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And why? For the common good. In other words, the Holy Spirit inside of every Christian is waiting to burst forth into the real real world through us. And every single person who has the Spirit has the capacity for the Holy Spirit to burst out of us that way. In other words, don't think of gifts as special enablements. I think that's really the wrong way to think about it is what is your gift? Think more in terms of every one of us has the Spirit living in us. So by nature, every one of us can manifest that Holy Spirit in the world. There are defined ways he seems to do that, but don't get hung up on cataloging and doing the Dewey Decimal System to to catalog and organize every single one of the gifts. That's the wrong way to think about the spiritual gifts. Think of it more as a vital life force that breaks out into the real world through us. You know what I'm talking about. Let's not talk about the spiritual gift of encouragement. What does that mean? Let's write books about it. 
You know what the spiritual gift of encouragement is because when you have lacked courage, when you are despondent and despair, you have all come across someone who as they spoke about God or about their unswerving faith, as they looked at you and said, it's going to be okay, God's going to show up, you will see somehow as they said those things in your presence, your own heart started against its will becoming uplifted. You started daring to hope again because for some reason when this person was with you and they were speaking life and truth, it had an effect on you that was profound and supernatural. And it wasn't just this person and they were so good with words. God was showing up. Something inexplicable was happening in your life. We have all experienced what it's like to be the beneficiary of someone else's spiritual gifts if we define the spiritual gifts as manifestations of the Holy Spirit who lives in each of us. And the reason God gives gifts to everyone is for the common good. In other words, He gives you gifts, all of us, so that we would give those gifts away to others. Another way of saying that is, God intends all of us to be spiritual re-gifters. You get this gift and you pass it along to somebody else. I love John Piper's definition of spiritual gifts. I think this is one of the best definitions of spiritual gifts I have ever read. Okay? What, what's happening? Where, there it goes. Okay. A spiritual gift. Isn't he just the most happy looking person? He's just so blessed looking at John Piper. He looks so content in the Lord. I, I, I wish I had that. All right. So the, a spiritual gift, listen, is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. In other words, why does God want to burst out of your life? If he's filling you and you got all that God goodness inside of you, why not keep it in there? <laughs> I got lots of God in me. It's blessing me. It's turning. Why burst out of you? Just so you could radiate and boast and go, look at all the God in me. Mm. Do you know in very poor countries, being overweight is a sign of awesomeness. Look how much food I got. Huh? Huh? And that's how it is. Is that how we think of the spiritual gifts? That it would burst out of us. So everyone look at us and go, wow, look at that guy. He's so spiritual. That has nothing to do with the giftings of God. He never gives gifts so that we would boast and shine out how much we have. He gives us gifts so that we would reflect him and reveal him. And so John Piper's got it right. The reason that the Spirit of God manifests out of our lives is so that other people who are feeling far from God, they say, it's hard for me to feel God, to see God. I need faith. I'm struggling. And through my faith and the manifestation of God in my life, their faith gets strengthened. They say, wow, I didn't see God before you came over. But as you talk, it's like God is so real to you. And then he's becoming more real to me. This is awesome. And sometimes he's got it right here, too. It's done through words. And other times it's done through deeds. I'll pick that up in the last point of the sermon. We'll move on. The point is, the reason God gives us gifts is for the benefit of others. It will bless us but it is ultimately for the blessing of other people. My slides are all out of order. I'm sorry. So, so here's, here's what one thing that uh, Paul says in his letter to the Romans. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. What Paul is saying is, it's not enough to have a gift. The unused gift is a useless gift. The whole point of a gift is that when it's used, something good happens. And when it isn't, nothing good happens. I kind of seriously wonder if there might not be someone in this room who could blow Kenny G out of the water and playing saxophone, but never discovered it because you were too lazy to practice. If there's somebody here with an incredible gift for preaching, but you never dare to open your mouth in front of a crowd and will never know what that was. You see, the point is, if you don't use a gift, it is not a gift to anyone, not even to you. The gift that is exercised grows and is refined and bears fruit. The gift that is hoarded and unused and unexpressed is not even worth having or giving. It is dead on arrival. And that's why it's so important that the the gifts of the Spirit come most alive in people who are already serving, who are already in a posture of saying, whatever I do have, it belongs to God. I'm not going to sit around waiting for something to happen. I'm going to give God something. Look what Paul says in Romans 1, 11 to 12. For I long to see you that I I might impart to you some spiritual gift. Why? To strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's just awesome. The point of the spiritual gift is that somehow, by my living out my faith and using the gifts God gave me, the faith of some other person will grow and be strengthened. Now, I'm going to give you full disclosure. I I read a sermon that John Piper gave on the topic of spiritual gifts. It was hard not to plagiarize because it was such a good sermon. It was a great sermon. And I'm going to give him credit for that definition that I had, but I'm also going to give him credit for this next idea I want to share with you. He says, I don't think the real problem in the church is that we're all walking around ignorant of what my gift is. We're going, I would do something, but I just don't know what my gift is. He says, that's not the real drawback in the church right now. The real issue is not a lack of knowledge of our gifts, but that we don't really care that much about strengthening other people's faiths. The issue is not ignorance, it's lack of motivation. And so here's how he says it. I think it's a really good way of of phrasing it. So the basic problem is becoming the kind of person, and this is typical John Piper, it's almost like science fiction, how ideal this is, but just receive it, okay? So the basic problem is becoming the kind of person who wakes up in the morning thanks God for our great salvation, and then says, first thing in the morning, Lord, oh, how I want to strengthen people's faith today. Grant that at the end of this day, somebody will be more confident of your promises and more joyful in your grace because I crossed his path. When you become this kind of person, the Holy Spirit will not let your longings go to waste He will help you find ways to strengthen the faith of others. And that will be the discovery of your gifts. That's just awesome. 
you got a camera on your phone, take a picture of it and chew on that for a little while. Don't just sit there and go. you got to dwell on that a little bit. That is so full of truth. He's saying that the reason the spiritual gifts don't seem to flourish as much in the American church as we'd like to see is not because of ignorance, but because we are not the kind of people who have this driving goal that today somehow I want one of the byproducts of my life to be that somebody else sees God as more real because they ran into me. But if that is something we will learn to long for and desire, God will not let that desire just sit there. He will pour something into you. He will awaken the Holy Spirit in you, causing the Holy Spirit to burst forth and be manifest in your life. And who knows how that will come out? Crazier things have happened. Some people in middle age decided to start singing. And everyone's like, wow, when you sing, I see the angels and I see the face of God. Sometimes we awaken very late in our lives to the unique spiritual gift God's given us because it's later in life that we suddenly lose our selfishness and decide, I want to bless somebody else with my life. And for those who are already living in that posture, when God sees that, he awakens spiritual gifts in us that overflow out of our lives and touch other people. Let me give you one last thing. I believe that God builds his house through people who are selfless. Selfless. I think it's tragic that the church which is built on a foundation of love and sacrifice from God to us is so often torn apart by conflict and division. It's a story of all of the church's history. How many of you have personally lived through a church split? I want to see every Korean raise your hand. Every Korean, at least. Okay. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be Korean to live through church splits, but you can't be Korean and not live through a church split. That's one of the prerequisites of our ethnicity. And we laugh about it because if we didn't laugh, we'd probably start crying. If you've lived through a church split, there is nothing to laugh about. It is heart-wrenching. It is nausea-inducing. It is faith-blinding. Jeannie and I ministered to a class of kids in the youth group who I think many lost their faith during a season when their church was being ripped to shreds by division. And man, I, I watched Jeannie especially pour her heart into these youth. And by God's grace, some emerged triumphant, but so many said, what is the point of a faith that causes an elder that I know to punch another elder in the face in the hallway of the church? What could be real about that? What could be worth giving up my Sundays about that? Division is the tumor in the spiritual realm. It is one of the greatest stumbling blocks to the reality and power of the gospel in the world. The division of the church, division among Christians, is one of the greatest poisons to the gospel that is available to us. But conversely then, one of the greatest proofs of the gospel is not an eloquent argument or a philosophically tight piece of logic. One of the greatest fruits or proofs of the gospel is the united church. The fact that people as different and diverse as us 
can still manage to find some way to live together as brothers and sisters, even though every day we give each other fresh reasons to want to kill each other. Every day I, as a sinful person, live among you, I will give you reasons to be discouraged or to be mad at me or to give up on me. And if we still make it through that, it is proof that the gospel has real power, that there's something among us that is not available to the rest of the world. That there's power here, which the world knows nothing about. And that's how we press on when everything in you says, no more, I'm out of here. I'm so done with all of you. And we stay together, and it is a proof of the gospel to the watching world. That is why the Bible devotes so much of its space to teaching on the unity of God's people. Because our unity or our division become the rise or the fall of the power of the gospel in the eyes of unbelievers. It says here that God has given differently to every person. And that's annoying, isn't it? Have you ever felt annoyed that some of your friends just have so many more good things than you do? Anyone? You ever looked at someone and goes, ugh, they're so fit and they don't even have to try. Ugh, it makes me sick. They're just gorging themselves on tacos and walking around asking, what? You don't, and you just, it just makes you mad, doesn't it? Some people just, they're so good at keeping their cool. You're angry all the time. You're like, how do you do it? How do you not want to punch every other person in the face? How do you, you're just so calm. And isn't it funny how the things you long for, it looks so easy in everyone else. And you, we, we wrestle a lot with the inequality with which God blesses people. Isn't that true? In fact, it's one of the reasons we start to doubt God is because we see in that inequality some kind of unfairness, injustice that's divine. How come God, that guy, can go all the way through Ivy League medical school? I can't even get out of high school. Why is my brain just like this? Why isn't it easier for me? Anytime we see a differential in the way that God has given to one person over another, it creates all kinds of tension in us, doesn't it? It agitates us. It makes us want to shake our fists at God. And he says, listen, I understand that, but you have to know that I am the architect of this project. I've got something going on. And I know that I haven't given the exact same thing to all of you, but that's because it would be preposterous, impossible to accomplish my goal if all of you were exactly the same. I watched the greatest football game of my life on Saturday, and it was played by nine-year-old 83-pounders. Our team, our team, Elijah's team, was down 7-0 from the first minutes of the game all the way to the last four minutes And then we scored two touchdowns in the last four minutes, and we beat them. It was drama. I I seriously needed to change clothes when I got home, man. What drama. And as I'm watching, what I saw was we won that game because every kid played their role to perfection. Everything we practiced. It wasn't like the linebacker wanted to be a cornerback. He stayed home. He did his job. And because of it, we won. And I'm just thinking about football. I'm thinking, what would it be like to be an NFL kicker? Easily the scrawniest guy on the team. You get to come on the field just once in a while, and you do one thing. (laughs) That's all I get to do. And if I miss, everyone's so mad at me. 
you might not, you know, how many kids dream of being the NFL place kicker? Right? No one says, every kid wants to be the quarterback or the running back or the wide receiver. Get the glory. Who says, I want to be a nose tackle? I just want to. And yet, if everybody wasn't doing their job, victory would be impossible. Logically, we know this, and yet, when we find that we're in the role that we didn't want, we reject it without realizing that we can experience an incredible joy if we can get over ourselves. If we could somehow achieve escape velocity from this deep human need to have everything be equal. I got to have just the exact same amount as everyone or I hate my life. What if your apportionment was relevant to your calling? What if you have been given more than your fair share of heartache because God needs your heart to be stronger than anybody else's? You know, God has given me over the years a tremendous personal growth in this area of devotional life where I connect with God very potently in a short amount of time. I didn't always have that, but I know why God has driven that agenda with me so much. It's because I'm the one person, not the one, in this church who feels like I don't have a pastor. Who is my pastor? And I feel like it is a matter of spiritual survival that I know how to go to God and receive pastoring from Him. And over the years, He has caused me to walk a very lonely journey where I'm surrounded by people, but there's nobody else who's exactly like me. I have good partners. I have a great team. But I, I sometimes complain about that. God, why don't I have a pastor And I felt like God was saying, I've put you on this path with that hardship because that's what you need to grow in for you to survive. Why does everything need to be the same? Why can I not rejoice that someone, when they teach, they're so good with their words, but somehow when I use my hands and feet, the blessing is just the same? I'll just simply conclude by saying that's another interesting observation we can make is that there seems to be a broad division of the spiritual gifts into two categories, those that deal with words and those that deal with deeds. And sometimes there's a little tension between those of us who are gifted with words and those of us who are gifted with deeds. Clearly, I can't even walk without knocking over this thing, so deeds is not my strong point. I'll stick to talking. So for those of us in the talking camp where our spiritual gifts revolve around words, it's easy for other people to say, well, all you do is talk, big, big doo-doo. You know, like, so you talk, but you realize there is tremendous power in words. That, that really, words form the prison and can represent the key from which people can find freedom. Words can be used by God to change the world. And so those who have the gift of words must be faithful, not to be insecure and say, oh, I wish I could sing. I wish I could do those things. I wish I could build things with my hands. If you are gifted with words, speak for God's sake. Open your mouth every chance you get. If someone says, give a testimony, share that story. Get it out there because when you do it, through your words, God will burst forth into reality. Maybe you're on this camp where every time you try to say stuff, you just, you just, you can't talk to save your life. You wish you could. You're so envious of those who can string words together, but it's just not you. But maybe when you put your hands and feet into God's hands and he uses you, amazing things happen. 
amazing things happen. Some of you can hold a child, and that child immediately feels safe. I don't have that effect on children at all. In fact, I have rarely been invited to give the seeds message because I traumatized the children of our church. Some of you, simply through one physical gesture, can inspire somebody else's heart. Some people know exactly how to give and use their generosity, their spiritual gift of generosity. And yeah, anybody can throw money around, give gifts around. You know, like, it's not, the, gift of, the spiritual gift of generosity is not, hey, here's a really expensive thing. Huh? Huh? You like that? That's not the spiritual gift of generosity. It's listening, being attentive, knowing where somebody's heart is. And at the right time, in just the right way, you give a gift that, that is more than just the gift you're giving. It's more than the monetary or, or resource value of the gift. It's that gesture, the attentiveness, the thoughtfulness, the timing, all of it. And so when the person receives from you, their heart is so lifted up and their, their zeal for the Lord, their sense of optimism about the human race. That's not being traumatic. A, a perfectly timed gift of generosity can change a person's life. And some of you know how to do that. I have been the recipient of gifts like that more times than I can count in this church. I'm the recipient of such a gift today, and I'm very excited. My family has been encouraged and uplifted for like a month because of this gift, because of what it represented. Whether you're on this side of the stage in the deeds camp or this side of the stage in the words camp, the point is not to sit there and look across the aisle and go, those people don't do what I do, or conversely to go, oh, I wish I had what they had. It is to look at yourself and say, God, you have given me this thing. I will do something with it for the sake of others. Do you see how secure and unselfish you have to be to think that way? That life is no longer a great competition. The people sitting next to you are not the competition. They're your family. And I thank God that each of us is given different gifts. I thank God for that. And I want you to know that if you will use your gifts, God will literally burst out of you. You will be amazed by the effect that your faith has on the faith of other people. You will hear it. They will verbalize it to you, and then God will become even more real to you. So can I exhort you and encourage you in the name of Jesus Christ as the church to adopt this selfless and serving posture before God and to say, I'm not in this to get something for myself. I've already received more than I deserved in Christ. God, help me to wake up in the morning just like John Piper is describing. Say, oh, how I long to strengthen somebody else today. How I long so that when this day is over, someone will go to bed more assured of you because they came across my path. If you will ask God for that heart, you will be amazed what he will start to awaken in you. And if you don't have that heart, please ask him for it because the alternative is a selfish, self-serving, divided church that will not glorify Jesus in the world. How much better then 
for us to give glory to Jesus as they see us unified, revealing God in everything that we do. Our spiritual gifts will make us even more than human in what we're able to accomplish for Christ. If you want a further training on um, the exact nature of an identification of each spiritual gift, I know that Pastor Frank or Pastor Jared or Pastor Marcus would be happy to spend hours with you tutoring you on those things. Um, but if you want a reminder on why it matters, come talk to me. All right? I, that's what I want to talk to you about. I don't want to tediously catalog all the gifts. And I pray that God will do this for us and through us. Would you pray with me? It is so important for us to remember that Christianity is not a set of beliefs. It is a reality. Inside of each of us, the vital presence, the spirit of the living God resides. If you've tried to reduce Christianity to a philosophy, I could not think of a greater waste of your time and your energy. Christianity never tried first to be a philosophy or a worldview. It was first an encounter with the living God of the universe. Does that not blow your mind? What philosophy, what beliefs we have flow out of that encounter of a real God who now says in Christ, He would occupy the space of your flesh and blood. He would live in you. So as we struggle with how hard life gets at times, when our faith seems to be fading to black, the answer is not found in persuasion and argument. It is found in saying to the Spirit of God living in you, wake up, arise, save me. Burst forth into my life. The power is already there. And our battle is not just for your thinking. You need to meet God. You need to recognize that if you are in Christ, He already fills you and lives inside of you. Don't you want and long to experience that? And that is the first calling of this text, this message this morning. is to be filled with the Spirit and to acknowledge that and celebrate it and live out of it. Everything else will follow. So let's go to God in prayer for that first. Let's ask Holy Spirit of God in me, arise, burst out, show yourself, make me victorious. Let's pray that right now. One level, if you look at our church, everything seems to be going pretty well. I mean, all the pieces are in place. Things go smoothly week after week. The majority of people seem to be smiling when we see each other on Sundays. But I'm going to tell you there's another layer of this church as there is with every church. A hidden private layer where our lives are truly being lived out. Where the battles are being fought. And we don't put on our game faces in that place. We're honest. We weep in that place. We grieve in that place. We shout at the heavens in frustration and pain in that place. We don't watch our language. We don't guard our attitudes in that place. We are who we really are. And in that place, God is very, very interested in invading our space and reminding us, even there, where can we go from Him? Where can we hide from His Spirit? 
And that's why it's so important for us to recognize that the spiritual gifts are not about building the programs of this church. We don't say those with the gift of singing come and sing on our praise team so that the church will grow. The church will not grow when the programs grow. The church is all of us at that private place where we really live. And if the battle is lost there, the church is lost. And overnight, all of this can disappear in a massive storm of despair and defeat if God is not invited into those places. It is so important we use every gift God gave us to strengthen each other's faith. To say to a brother or sister, I know right now in your life, God seems so far, but look at me in the way I look at God. You will see him. You will be strengthened today. We need to do that for each other because so many are having a hard time seeing God where they really live right now. Are you with me? This church is not all it appears to be, but God is invading those private places even now, and he will do it through us. Let's be there for each other. Can I just ask you to join me right now? Let's just pray for those in our church right now in that place, that real place. When the masks come off, are really struggling right now. Let's pray for all of our brothers and sisters who are in that place right now. And pray that God this week through a million different ways would surge forward generously and fill their lives. Let's pray that right now. God, you are so real. And our simple prayer is this. Help us to feel and to see you more this week. Burst out of our minds and out of the theory and the spiritual realm. Burst forth into this real world of flesh and blood and bricks and mortar. Lord, we need to feel you. We need to see you surge into our life in 10,000 different ways through an encounter, a voice, a thought, just someone we see across the way that just reminds us that you are very close and very real and you are greater than our sorrows. We lift up a heartfelt prayer for those among our family who are really struggling in that private place. God, I pray that you would be exceedingly, embarrassingly generous to them this week. Overwhelm them with the gift of yourself. And Lord, we include ourselves in that prayer. Use us in each other's lives. That somehow today, someone else in this world will go to bed more sure of you more filled with hope because we cross their paths. We thank you that we don't say this with the intention that we must work hard. Holy Spirit, you are alive in us. Come and burst out and bless the world and make Jesus known. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.